VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. Well, I see you are back for more. For that someone saying, more what? We are glad you asked. Today is part two of two in our effort to broadcast in nearly its entirety William J. Federer's recent presentation, Silence Equals Consent. In the fall of 2023, VCY hit the road with Bill for a road rally tour that visited several cities and states, and quite possibly you. When we left the air yesterday, Bill had really gotten to the heart of the subject, silence equals consent, basically explaining how for the Christian to not be involved with their government, and yes, even what many believe is that nasty word politics, which Bill correctly explained simply means the affairs of the city, politics meaning the affairs of the city, For Christians to not be salt and light where God has placed them? Well, it truly explains how the affairs of our cities, our states, and country have declined to where they now are. Our silence in regard to what God has already spoken on equals then, very sadly, our consent, our agreeing with whatever that which is against what God has ruled on. Our silence equals consent. Let's get right back to this. We'll pick up now where we left off yesterday. But you want to be involved in government. Why? So you can have a country where your kids can have a personal experience with Jesus. Because if you don't get involved, what they are pushing right now in these schools is there's no God. And if there is a God, he's messed up. He's put in men and women's bodies, and you have to have operations to fix it. I mean, this is what they're teaching. And, um, and not only do they say that, they're saying any type of sex is okay. Well, guess what? If, if sex outside of marriage is okay, then there's no sin. There's arguably no sins. If there's no sins, you don't need a Savior. So them teach, they're wanting you to be tolerant while they teach their kids an anti-Christian agenda. They're teaching the religion of Antichrist. If you're really Christian, you'll be silent while we teach your kids the gospel of Antichrist. So the most important thing is to bring people to Christ, but the second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. So, if I still have your attention, um, I have a question for those that you might have met that think they're being holy by not being involved. The question is, what do you do with Numbers chapter 30? It's one of those chapters we don't read too often, but it has a half a dozen scenarios of silence equaling consent. One is if a daughter binds herself with a vow while living in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand. But if her father overrules her, On the day he hears, then none of her vows shall stand, and the Lord will release her. That's come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. And the pastor tells the church members, if you're silent when you hear these vows, you're giving consent to the vows. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Right? It's called the rule of tacit admission. T-A-C-I-T. And Black's Law Dictionary. An admission reasonably inferable from a party's failure to act or speak. And it's part of law. In property law, if someone moves on to a piece of your property and starts shacking up and living there, and you do not evict them, and you do not charge them rent, and several years go by, they gain title to your property. It's called adverse possession. By your silence, you're, you're giving your approval to them taking your land. In trademark law, if you have a trademark, and somebody copies it, and they're using it, and you know about it, and you don't defend your trademark, you lose it. They'll say, well, you knew about it. You didn't do anything, so you must have been okay with you. It's even in our U.S. Constitution. Article 1, Section 7. Congress passes a bill 
puts it on the president's desk. And if he does nothing with it for 10 days, it becomes law. It says, if any bill shall not be returned by the president within 10 days, the same shall be a law in like manner as if he had signed it. All he has to do is just be silent for 10 days. Boom. Silence is the same as if he had signed it. So if a church member's silence gives consent to wedding vows, it gives consent to other things. And if they're killing babies in a community and the church members are silent, the church members are giving consent to killing babies. And if you give consent to sin, you are an accessory. You share in the guilt, you share in the judgment. Leviticus 20. Any Israelite or foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to death if the members of the community close their eyes. When that man sacrifices one of his children to Molech, I myself will set my face against him and his family and will cut them off from Israel altogether. All you got to do is close your eyes when they kill the baby and you're guilty. You know, last a couple months ago in California, they actually had a bill where you could kill a baby 28 days after birth. I was out there, and these pastors finally got enough of them, black, white, Hispanic, uh, Asian, and they went to Sacramento, and they pressured those politicians to change it. You know, silence equals consent. The Apostle Paul, Acts 22, talking to the Lord, and he says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. Paul did not throw a stone. He didn't say a word, but he knew he was guilty for the death of Stephen just by standing there silent while they're killing him. Proverbs 24, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to death. Don't stand back and let them die. Don't disclaim responsibility by saying you didn't know about it. For God who knows all hearts knows yours. He knows you knew, and he will reward everyone according to his deeds. Mordecai tells Esther, there is a mandate from the government to kill the Jews. If you remain silent at this time, deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And then there's Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron went to the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Take the rod, gather the assembly, thou and Aaron, speak to the rock, and it shall give forth water. Well, they gathered the assembly, and Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly. End of the chapter. The Lord spake to Moses, Aaron will not enter the land, because both of you rebelled against me at the waters of Meribah. It's like, both? Aaron didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. Yeah, that's just it. He was at the door of the tabernacle. He heard God tell Moses, speak to the rock. When Moses lifted up the rod the first time and hit the rock, it probably took Aaron by surprise. When Moses lifted up the rod the second time, Aaron knew what was coming. And he did not protest. He didn't say, well, Moses, Moses, hold it. I was there at the door of the tabernacle. I heard God say, speak to the rock. No, he was silent. And in that instant, Aaron was guilty. Moses' was a sin of commission. Aaron's was a sin of omission. And so Leviticus 5, it says, A person sins because he did not speak up, even though he was an eyewitness to a case or knew what happened. Anyone who has failed to testify is guilty. You know, a more modern quote, Martin Luther King Jr. said, He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. He who accepts evil without protesting it is, in reality, cooperating with it. Now, we all know this verse, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. Do you know the verse right before it? Confront your neighbor directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. The verse right before, love your neighbor as yourself, says confront your neighbor directly so you'll not be held guilty for their sin. There was no police in ancient Israel. It was everyone was taught the law. Everyone helped enforce the law. And so if you heard somebody take God's name in vain, you were the one that had to go to the elders and say, I heard him. And you were the first one to throw the, the stone at him, right? It was a self-enforcement. So they're telling you, 
the, pe- the parents nowadays, well, if your child's going to go through, you know, a, a trans, transition, just love them, just accept them, just love them. You love your kid and you correct your kid. You don't sit there and just, I love you no matter what. I mean, if you left the children up to themselves, they would eat candy all day long. You're the adult. You don't just let them wander into a street. You're the one. You love them, but you tell them what's right and wrong. Another translation of that says, rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. New Testament says, if your brother sinned, rebuke him. And uh, so they have a tactic. Their tactic is to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. You say, what? They say, yeah, if you're really Christian, you will be silent and give your consent while we teach your kids something that Jesus would never teach. I mean, would would Jesus teach the trans agenda? Jesus taught in the beginning, God made them male and female in the image of God. But these woke people are wanting to tell you, if you're really a Christian, you'll be silent while we teach your kids something that Jesus would never teach your kids. So if you're really Christian, you won't act like Christ. And some woke Christians are going along with it. Yet Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around your neck. I mean, think of it. How can teachers who cannot even define what a woman is be capable of telling a boy he's supposed to be a girl? It's like they can't even define what a woman is. They're like, oh, he's supposed to be a woman. It's like you can't even define a woman. And so it's going to be a rude awakening for church members who think they're spiritual by not getting involved when they realize by their silence they're giving consent to sin. They're inviting the judgment of God upon their heads. So a scriptural case can be made that God cares about the children. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So I believe that our response should be local, local, local. Right? There are more people that go to churches than vote in school board races. I mean, school board races, what are those? We don't really pay attention to it. Those are the positions that decide what the kids are being taught. And all you got to do is say, look, let's pick some mama bear or some guy that cares enough about his kids, and let's get all the churches to agree on them. And I ran for Congress three times. I raised millions of dollars. I I could tell you all about that. For most people, they'll say, check that off their list. I mean, I had... Ted Nugent doing commercials for me, and Chuck Norris, and Pat Boone, and Ark Lingletter, and Zig Ziegler, and Dr. James Dobson, and Alan Keyes, and Judge Roy Moore, and Phyllis Schlafly, and D. James Kennedy, and James Dobson. I mean, it was a big deal. It was the biggest race and most expensive race in Missouri history. I could tell you all about it, but most people would say, I'll never do that. So forget all that stuff. You drive by a school every day, and if you know they're teaching something in that school different than what Jesus would teach, and you're silent, you're giving consent to that. Let's just all agree on some mama bear and let's vote her in. And once she's in, fill up that school board meeting room early and show our support. Now, if churches can just care about the children in and out of the womb and what these children are being taught in the local schools, I believe all the higher races will take care of themselves. Bill Federer's teaching, Silence Equals Consent. Have we been silent when we should have been heard? I'll let you answer that one. We'll be right back. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, author and seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, where did the idea come from that there were little green men who lived on Mars? Chris, the idea that there was intelligent life on Mars was given a big boost in the late 19th century when the American astronomer Percival Lowell claimed that he saw linear features on Mars, which he claimed were canals. Later, it became obvious that the Martian atmosphere could not support advanced forms of life, so they've given up the idea. What they haven't given up is the idea that there might be microbes on Mars, single-cell life. This idea is fueling the modern expeditions to Mars to find water. The idea is if they can find water, then maybe there's life. But while water is a necessary condition for life, it's not sufficient. Life is much too complex to have formed haphazardly. It needs a lot more than water. NASA could save a lot of money by going back to Genesis for their starting point. Thank you, Dr. John. This is Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.
Thank you for listening to Crosstalk on the VCY America radio network. If you have just joined us, we are in our second and final day of broadcasting in nearly its entirety, Bill Federer's Silence Equals Consent. Having heard this message a couple of times now and preparing it again today for you, surely my IQ has gone way up. (laughs) Just kidding. But truly, as we have said before, this is a treasure of information. It is available on DVD, which allows you to see Bill's PowerPoint, have something to write with, and we will soon share order information to help you get this. You drive by a school every day, and if you know they're teaching something in that school different than what Jesus would teach, and you're silent, you're giving consent to that. Let's just all agree on some mama bear, and let's vote her in, and once she's in, fill up that school board meeting room early and show our support. Now, if churches can just care about the children in and out of the womb and what these children are being taught in the local schools, I believe all the higher races will take care of themselves. The people that feel called to run for a higher office will say, okay, I learned how it all works when I was doing the school work. Yeah, I can get involved in the city commission or whatever. All they need is the pastor's blessing, right? There's even a group called Salt and Light where you just have the pastor pick one person and, the, and with his blessing, and this person will be in touch with the Salt and Light Council, and they'll teach him how to, you know, register people, and they'll do all that stuff. The pastor just says, see her, <laughs> you know. And, um, and this is interesting. As we look at the news, we see more power concentrating into fewer and fewer hands globally. I believe God's counterbalance is to get more people involved locally, right? Fewer people globally, God counterbalances to get more and more and more people involved locally. You know, here's a thought. Maybe God is letting the evil expose itself to expose the condition of our hearts. I mean, how much will we stomach? What will it take to get us to do something? If we can remain silent doing nothing, just waiting for Jesus to come back to take us out of this mess, then our silence is giving consent to all that evil. And who do you think you're going to meet when you're raptured? It's like Jesus. Do you think Jesus cares about these little children? And he's going to ask why you were silent? I mean, what does the silence say about the condition of our heart? Jesus says, in the last days, because evil shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. You know, I was reading Ezekiel. The Lord gave him a vision and cried, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. Behold, six men came, every man with a destroying weapon in his hand. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the rider's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city and put a mark on the forehead of all those who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. And to the others, he said, Go after him through the city, slay old and young. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. What's the difference between being slain and not slain? Does your heart sigh and cry over the abominations that are being done? Some people are going to be fine with all that. Oh, yeah, okay, they're killing babies. Yeah, I've gotten used to that. And they want to kill them after they're born. Well, okay, kill them 28 days after birth. Yeah, I never wanted to. All you have to do is watch a couple of these videos of these kids who have detransitioned. And it breaks your heart. One girl said, I rejected being a woman before I knew what a woman was, and now I can never be a woman. Another girl said, she's got her phone out, and she says, I just shaved my head. They told me I have male pattern baldness, and my hair will never come back. And I don't know what to say other than this is what happens when a girl takes testosterone for five years. And they're doing this to these kids, and the church members are like sitting back. Well, I'm fine with it. I don't want to get involved. You know, when it was a beautiful praise song called Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. And, and um, there's a praise and worship leader named Kim Walker Smith. And she has this video with kids in the choir behind her. Beautiful, innocent little kids. And they're singing Hosanna. And there's a line in the song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for the kingdom's cause. You think it breaks Jesus's heart? You have these little kids. The same spirit that mutilates them inside the womb with abortion is now mutilating them outside the womb with trans surgeries. 
and the hospitals make money off it, and the pharmaceutical companies make money off it, and lots of people are making money, and then the money goes to different politicians and they're being bought off. And then Jim Caviezel, if you saw the movie Sound of Freedom, and it talks about the, the terrible crime of sex trafficking and a whole lot of the kids, it happens right here in America. And some say, I'm not going to do anything, but God knows my heart. It's like, well, God knew Abraham's heart, but he wanted to see Abraham be willing to take his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and be willing to kill him. Well, he said, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, yeah imagine a, a guy watching football. And you ask him, when was the last time you told your wife you love her? And he's like, uh, I can't remember, but she knows my heart. It's like, okay. Uh, when was the last time you did anything to show your wife you love her? It's like, uh, I can't remember, but she knows my heart. It's like, dude, we need to have a little talk. <laughs> People say, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And he wants to hear some words out of your mouth. And he wants to see some actions. You're a spiritual being in a physical world. He wants you to manifest on the outside the love of God that's on the inside. I mean, even salvation is you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And then there's another prescribed action of being baptized, right? A physical act. And, and so we're the bride of Christ. And every romance novel and romance movie builds up to a decision-making moment, a forsaking of all others and choosing the one. I think God's pushing the world to a decision-making moment. And some people are going to choose the all others. They're going to want to be liked and friended and followed, and they don't want to be not invited to parties, and they don't want to be left out of the group. And others are going to say, I don't care about the all others. All I care about is Jesus. You know, when a cell divides, some stuff goes to one side and some stuff goes to the other. There are those that are doing evil. And there are those that are silent in the face of evil. And by their silence, they're giving consent to the evil. And there are other ones that says, you know what? And, and I think God's actually pulling the curtain back. I mean, literally, we have Satan clubs on high school campuses. Satan worshiping Grammys. Satan trans clothes designers for Target. I mean, it's, it's like Wizard of Oz, pull back the curtain. It's Satan. And then on the other side, you have people being bolder and bolder for Jesus. And God's like, okay, this is the romance novel. Uh, we're building up to the, the last chapter. We've got to wrap this thing up. Make your choice. God or the devil. <gasps> right? It's getting, you're getting, no, no hidden stuff. We're pulling back. The, you can see there's this. So when a cell divides, some stuff, some people do evil. Some are silent in the face of evil. And there are others of us that says, you know what? I was silent and tolerated something I didn't feel good about. And then I stretched the rubber band, and I was silent about something else. But I'm sorry, I can't go with hysterectomies on eight-year-old girls because they went through a tomboy phase. I'm sorry, I can't go with castrating little boys because they played with their sister's dolls. And you cut the rubber band, and it snaps back, and you say, since I don't care about what people think about me anymore, I may as well be bolder for Jesus than ever before. And I believe that's the dividing that the Lord is pushing the world to. You know, we talked about world history. We talked about how unique America is with our covenant form of government. We talked about how it got a little dry, and then we had this revival movement that says, no, it's more than a plan. You have to have this experience with Jesus. And then some said, okay, it's an experience, but it's only personal, and they withdraw. And then we get done saying, no, 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 we need to be involved. But if you look at it, it all comes down to we have a chance to show on the outside what's in the inside. I'd like us to look at the big picture. I mean the big, big picture. I mean the biggest possible picture. Do you know in 2003, they focused the Hubble telescope on a spot in the sky where there was nothing. The spot was tiny. It was the size of a grain of sand held between your fingers at arm's length against the night sky tiny spot, nothing there. After 11 days, they developed the images. In that spot was 10,000 galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each galaxy. And this is the picture. It's the Hubble Ultra Deep Space Field. It is the furthest picture ever taken away from planet Earth. It's not an artist's rendition. This is the actual picture. And every dot you see is a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars. And light travels in waves, with blue being the shortest, fastest wave and red being the slowest, longest wave. They saw the red shift 
which means galaxies are moving away from us. Then they begin to look in other directions. They now estimate the observable universe is 93 billion light years across and still expanding at the speed of light. And the largest star they found is Stevenson 2-18. It's a super gas giant. It's so large, if you were to place Stevenson 2-18 in our solar system, it would engulf the orbit of Saturn, the sixth planet from the sun. We're the third planet from the sun. Could you imagine one single star that enormous? And God made it all, and he made you. Why would he make you? What could you possibly offer a being that is that powerful? Nothing, except maybe something. What's a galaxy anyway? It's a bunch of rocks. Hot rocks, cold rocks, vaporized rocks, molten rocks. A rock cannot love you. So it's almost like at some time in eternity past, God said, been there, done that. I can make everything. I would really like someone in my image that could love me. Now it gets interesting because love, by definition, must be voluntary, free will. So in the context of everything God controls, time, matter, space, energy, he intentionally created one tiny thing he does not control, your will. Now, he could control it if he wanted to, but that would defeat the very reason he made us different than everything else. He doesn't need our love. He's not incomplete, and our love somehow completes him. He doesn't need our love, but he wants it. Parents don't need the love of their children, but they want it. And the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you back. God loves you infinitely. He has an infinite desire for you to love him back. But he'll never force you. Because the moment he would force you to love him, he himself would know he's forcing you to love him. And he would know your response is not a love response. So he'll never force you. You know, you're made in God's image. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, somewhere near the top of the list, it's loving and being loved. And if you're made in his image, could it be that loving and being loved is important to God? It does say God is love. God loves everything he created. But the question is, could what he created love him back? Inanimate things can't love. A galaxy, a rock can't love. Animals follow instinct. How many pictures did you paint in your mind as Bill was talking about the heavenlies, the countless stars and the galaxies? My, my, what an amazing creator God we have. Those images in your mind are surely better than the DVD, but for a DVD of Silence Equals Consent, which includes the very images through PowerPoint, which Bill was talking about, Call our switchboard during normal business hours, 1-800-729-9829, and request the Silence Equals Consent DVD. There is also an audio CD for listening while out on the road. 1-800-729-9829. There is no heartache equal to that of losing a loved one to suicide. Unanswered questions, despair, and perhaps self-blame can leave those behind with feelings of hopelessness. But true hope and help can be found in Christ alone. In the booklet Hope Beyond Despair, author Julie Gossick shares from personal experience how the truth of Scripture and the hope of the gospel can bring comfort to those who are living in the aftermath of suicide. She addresses what the Bible has to say on this issue and provides a lasting hope based on biblical principles. The book Hope Beyond Despair is available from VCY for a donation of $6 or three copies for a donation of $15. Just ask for Hope Beyond Despair when you call with your gift at 1-800-729-9829. You may also write VCY America, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Five three two zero eight.
Crosstalk continues on the VCY America radio network. Visit the website, crosstalkamerica.com. Today is our second and final day sharing the message, Silence Equals Consent, from William J. Federer. The message taught from the 2023 VCY Fall Rally Tour. We will pick things back up now with Bill sharing the loving concern of the Creator God over that which He created, over that which He loves the most, that which He so loves, the Jew, the Gentile, and even you and me. How should we respond? The first thing Bill mentioned was loving and being loved is important to God. I looked up the word angel in the King James Bible. It appears 289 times. Not once is the word love used to describe an angel's relationship with God. They worship God. They praise God. They glorify God. The word angel means messenger. They deliver God's messages to the prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel and Mary. And they um, are heavenly witnesses. Jesus says, I'll confess you before the angels. They deliver God's judgments in Egypt, and they smite the Egyptians and the Moabites, and, and they rejoice when a sinner converts. They are mighty beings. They are intelligent beings, but they're not made in the image of God. And Jesus did not die on the cross for angels. They were made for a purpose. What purpose were you made for? We're not mighty. We're not very smart. <laughs> Guess what? The word love is used all throughout the Bible to describe men and women's relationship with God. You know, a king can have a castle with really powerful soldiers and really smart staff, and then he can have children. The word love is used to describe men and women's relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Psalms 91, because he set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Jesus rose from the dead and said, Peter, do you love me? We are beings uniquely created with the ability to love God back. But he'll never force you because the moment he would force you, he himself would know he's forcing you and he'd know your response is not a love response, so he'll never force you. There's a second thing. How can God give us free will to love him back, but still be in control of everything? God created light. And light is a photon, which is a perpendicular wave in the electromagnetic field that travels at 186,000 miles per second. And a visible light's one small, part of the electro, one small part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So you have gamma rays and ultraviolet rays and infrared rays and radio waves and and so when God said, let there be light, he stretched out the heavens. He also stretched out this electromagnetic field. And Einstein's theory of relativity is the closer you can travel approaching the speed of light, for you, time would slow down. And if you could travel the speed of light, for you, time would stand still. God created light. He's faster than light. So for God, time stands still. We'll never comprehend that. But there is a verse in the Bible that says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Imagine experiencing one day as if it was a thousand years. In other words, we are living in slow motion compared to God. God exists in the ever-present now. I am that I am. If you've ever been in God's presence, you cannot think about the past. You cannot think about the future. You can't even think. You just experience. I'm in the presence of all love and all power and all beauty terrifying power, irresistible love. So for God to create our reality, he had to create a space-time bubble where everything moves in slow motion compared to now. So we think of the speed of light as fast. To God, it's slow. In physics, they call it the speed of causality. It's the, the speed limit of the universe. In other words, it's the delay between cause and effect. It's the fastest two points in the universe can communicate in a vacuum. If there was no delay between cause and effect, then everything would happen right now and the whole universe would shrink to an infinitesimally small spot, is what the physicists say. So for God to create our reality, he had to stretch time from now and slow it down. Why is that important? Because we get to make our little free will decisions in time, but he's outside of time. He can readjust every electron in the universe before he lets time go to the next nano frame so that his will is going to take place. 
You know, if you have GPS on your phone, you make a wrong turn, it recalculates. What if the guy in the car next to you is making a wrong turn at the same time and his is recalculating? What if everybody in the city is making a wrong turn? What if everybody in the world is making wrong turns and is recalculating at the same time? In other words, we make good decisions, we make bad decisions. God's outside of time. He can readjust every electron in the universe before time moves to the next nanoframe so that his will is going to take place. And we sort of know that. Because if there's a coincidence, like a meeting of somebody, and you know, this isn't, how do you, you know, you meet somebody, you know it's more than just a happenstance. You feel this awe that God's here. And, and we call it a, a divine appointment, or providence, or a, or a, 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 a what is it, a godsidence, or a coincidence that you know God was behind. So God creates us as free will beings, uniquely created to love him back, he creates time so that we can have a free will, but he's still in control because he's outside of time. There's a third thing. He has to hide himself behind his creation because if he ever revealed himself to you in all of his universe creating omnipotent power brighter than a trillion trillion suns, your response if you didn't melt would be like the Apostle John, the book of Revelation, I fell at his feet as dead. Or I, Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone. Or Daniel, I was astonished for two weeks. <laughs> if God were to show, in the Shekinah glory in the temple, what, they fell flat, the glory there. In other words, if God were to show himself, your response would be Involuntary. And God's like, I can do involuntary all eternity long. He is completely awesome. So he has to hide himself. People say, if God's real, why doesn't he show himself? Because the moment he shows himself, your free will is gone. In the presence of all power, it's going to be an involuntary response. And the same hiding of himself that allows us to have free will necessitates that we have faith. People say, I wish I could just see what it is. Well, if, if you wouldn't need faith and he shows himself, you also wouldn't have a free will. Lord, haste the day when our faith shall become sight. Because when we finally see him, we won't need any faith, but then we'll be with him. So he creates us as free will beings that can love him back. He creates time so he's still in control. He hides himself. I was thinking of a way of explaining how he hides himself, how important that is. Imagine a billionaire has a son who goes to college. And he flies in on his private jet, drives up in his Lamborghini. He's got a Rolex watch, fancy clothes, gold rings. He's going to have every girl on campus wanting to meet him. But if he lays that aside and drives up in a clunker, he's got holes in his jeans, all the uppity girls are going to ignore him. But then there's a girl that likes to study with him in the library. And they eat together in the cafeteria. And they become friends. And she takes heat from the clique for hanging around this nobody guy. But she believes in him. They fall in love. They get engaged. And then one day he says, hey, I want to take you back to meet my dad. And they're like driving up to this castle, mansion, estate, and the girl's like, whoa, you didn't tell me about all this. He knows that she loves him for him, not because of all of his stuff. If Jesus would have come in all of his glory, every political ladder climber, I'm your friend, sure, I love you. No. He's born in a manger. It says in Isaiah 53 of the Messiah, there was nothing in his countenance that would make us want to desire him. He only wants those that love him for him. So he creates us as beings that can love him back. He creates time so he's still in control even though we have free will. He hides himself so that we have the opportunity to use our free will. But there's a last thing. He's just. And he cannot help it. He's just. In mathematical equations, there are constants and variables. In the equation of redemption, the constant is God is just. Was, is, and forever will be just. The variable is who takes the judgment. You are a substitute. God is just. He has to judge. Everything he makes is laws. Laws of planetary motion. Laws of gravity. Laws of physics. Laws of optics. Laws of thermodynamics. Everything's laws. And he has laws for human behavior. And when you break the laws, he has to judge it. Because if God does not judge a sin, by default, his silence would be giving consent to the sin. In the same way, if you're silent at a wedding ceremony, you're given consent. And if God gives consent to one sin, 
one time, he denies his just nature. He denies himself. He ungods himself. He's kicked out of heaven. And he is not going to get kicked out of heaven. And he is not going to deny himself. And he is going to judge every sin. So he can never be loved back. Because if he creates free will beings that can love him back, creates time, he's still in control, hides himself so that we have opportunity to have a free will. But if we step out of line one time, he has to judge us. Because if he doesn't judge our sin, he'd be giving consent to our sin. And if he gives consent to sin, he denies himself. And he cannot deny himself so we can never be loved back. Until he came up with a plan. He actually had the plan before he created the first electron. And the plan was his own son would become a man and become the Lamb of God and take the punishment for all of our sins upon himself on the cross. Charles Wesley said, Amazing love, how could it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, in the plan of redemption that was hidden from ages. The Apostle Paul called it a hidden plan. He says, if the princes of this world had known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel. In this hidden plan, Jesus became man, took the judge. Only as a man could God die on a cross for our sins. Abraham and Isaac were going to the top of Mount Moriah. Isaac says, Father, we have the wood for the sacrifice. We have the coals for the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it has a double meaning. Trust in God will have the ram up in the, in the bush. But the second is God will provide himself. And that's what happened. Jesus, the Son of God, became the sacrifice. God is completely just in that he judges every sin. But he's completely loving that he provided the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. So I read the book of Revelation a thousand times, still trying to figure it out. But one thing seems clear. It's God that's pouring out the vials of judgment in the book of Revelation. Right? Lamb breaks the seal. Angel throws the central. Angel blows the trumpet. Angel pours. It's like, why is that? That's the final judgment. God is a just God. He has to judge every sin he missed along the way. So you can't get 10,000 years into eternity and say, God, there was this sin back then and you were silent and you didn't judge it. Were you giving consent to that? Is there a party that's unjust we didn't know about? Uh-uh. It says the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever and the angels cry out, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Nobody's going to question for the rest of eternity that God judged sin. But that's the final judgment. He will not do any more judging for the rest of eternity. But in that sense, Jesus had the book of Revelation judgment poured out on his head. He took the judgment for every sin that everybody would ever do upon himself on the cross. Experienced it as if it was a thousand years. That's why he was sweating drops of blood in the garden. You know, you say, okay, God's just. There's one Jesus. There's billions of us. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal damnation. How could one person pay for all that? Jesus is divine, and he experienced judgment in a dimension we will never comprehend. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Well, many American Christians are in shock, that is, those that know about the story, the tragic story of a church preacher, an evangelist on the street in Arizona, preaching the gospel, shot in the head last week. Many are praying for his survival as he's in critical condition, but it brings to the forefront the issue of Christian persecution, not just in other places, but now here in America. As we are on the verge of celebrating Thanksgiving, that in part was about the pilgrims coming to America for religious liberty and freedom and to teach the Ten Commandments and the Bible to their children, we're finding America to be a place that is hostile to Christians that proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ alone. As we see the rise of Sharia and Marxism, Islamic law and Marxism, the persecution of Christians is going to greatly increase. Crosstalk, our final segment of Silence Equals Consent from William J. Federer. 
Again, for this entire teaching on DVD that includes Bill's PowerPoint, call during business hours 1-800-729-9829. We'll give that number one more time before we close. And that illustration from the previous segment, that illustration of what a relationship with Christ Jesus is like, well, it's worth repeating. Imagine a billionaire has a son who goes to college and he flies in on his private jet, drives up in his Lamborghini. He's got a Rolex watch, fancy clothes, gold rings. He's going to have every girl on campus wanting to meet him. But if he lays that aside and drives up in a clunker, he's got holes in his jeans, all the uppity girls are going to ignore him. But then there's a girl that likes to study with him in the library and they eat together in the cafeteria and they become friends. And she takes heat from the clique for hanging around this nobody guy. But she believes in him. They fall in love. They get engaged. And then one day he says, hey, I want to take you back to meet my dad. And they're like driving up to this castle, mansion, estate. And the girl's like, whoa, you didn't tell me about all this. He knows that she loves him for him, not because of all of his stuff. If Jesus would have come in all of his glory, every political ladder climber, I'm your friend, sure, I love you. No, he's born in a manger. It says in Isaiah 53 of the Messiah, there was nothing in his countenance that would make us want to desire him. He only wants those that love him for him. So he creates us as beings that can love him back. He creates time so he's still in control even though we have free will. He hides himself so that we have the opportunity to use our free will. But there's a last thing. He's just and he cannot help it. He's just. In mathematical equations, there are constants and variables. In the equation of redemption, the constant is God is just. Was, is, and forever will be just. The variable is who takes the judgment. You are a substitute. And he is going to judge every sin. So he could never be loved back because if he creates free will beings that can love him back, Creates time, he's still in control, hides himself so that we have opportunity to have a free will. But if we step out of line one time, he has to judge us because if he doesn't judge our sin, he'd be giving consent to our sin. And if he gives consent to sin, he denies himself and he cannot deny himself so we can never be loved back until he came up with a plan. He actually had the plan before he created the first electron. And the plan was his own son would become a man and become the Lamb of God and take the punishment for all of our sins upon himself on the cross. Only as a man could God die on a cross for our sins. I have a degree in accounting. I like things that balance. You take an eternal being, Jesus, who is innocent, suffering for a finite, limited period of time. It's equal to all of us finite, limited beings who are guilty suffering for an eternal period of time. Let me say that again. An eternal being who is innocent, suffering for a finite period of time, is equal to all of us finite beings who are guilty, suffering for an eternal period of time. Infinity times finite equals finite times infinity. An unlimited being suffering for a limited period of time is equal to all of us limited beings suffering for an unlimited period of time. Jesus suffered the equivalent of eternal damnation in all of our places. And he is the only one who could have done it. And out of love for the Father, and out of love for you and me, he became the Lamb. And he took the wrath of a just God. It says in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to crush him. And then he rose from the dead to prove he was who he said he was. This way, you and I can approach this universe-creating, eternal, omnipotent, and all-just God and not have to worry about being judged. Because all the judgment we deserve went on Christ, and we're approaching God in Christ. We have his name on our forehead. We're covered in the blood of Christ. The lamb is God's way to love you without having to judge you. It's his plan. He came up with it. It's his plan where he can love you throughout all eternity and you can love him back throughout all eternity and never have to worry about being judged by him because all the judgment you deserve went on Christ. And Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was who he said he was. So today, instead of us doing good works, hoping to earn brownie points with God, 
you're already accepted by God through faith in the blood of the Lamb. And then he fills you with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And then the Holy Spirit reaches out through you to share the love of God with the lost and dying world, to love the unlovable, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to death and care about what the little kids are going through, right? You get to be a part of letting the God of the universe love through you. So tonight, if you've not yet put all your faith in the lamb that God provided, God loves you. He controls time. He arranged all the little electrons so that you would be here right now tonight so that you could hear the message of his love for you and how he provided his son to take all the judgment that you deserve upon himself and rose from the dead and that by you putting all your faith in Jesus, you can approach our loving heavenly father, the creator of everything, without having to worry about being judged. So let's close with a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and let's come into the presence of the Lord. And just, uh, just say this prayer quietly under your breath. Before Bill comes back to close out today in prayer, for a DVD of Silence Equals Consent, call during normal business hours, one 800 729 9829 or visit us online at vcy.org Heavenly Father I thank you that you created me out of nothing you formed me but I've sinned I deserve judgment thank you in your plan your son Jesus died on the cross to pay for all my sins. Jesus, I thank you that out of love for the Father and out of love for you and me, you became the Lamb. I trust in you. I give my life to you. Come inside of me now. Holy Spirit, fill me. Live through me, think through me, speak through me. I'm yours. Love the world through me. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Amen. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.